From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. For some people struggling to lose weight, surgery may be an option. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Flavia Soto. She's the Division Chief for Bariatric Surgery at Upstate. Welcome, Dr. Soto. Thank you. How much weight can a person lose with bariatric surgery? Um, so we can see their success uh, after bariatric surgery. We use very specific, um, we can call them tools, and we use percentage of excess weight loss. If the patients at six months are able to lose 50% of their ex- excess weight loss, that will be uh, a success. In terms of pounds, we can say uh, within a year, they can lose between 50 and 100 pounds. So significant. Significant weight loss. And we call it also rapid weight loss, which um, it makes a big difference uh, between the surgical weight loss versus the non-surgical weight loss. And is the surgical weight loss what you would find soon after surgery and the non-surgical is it keeps coming off in the days after? So what we call uh, surgical weight loss versus non-surgical weight loss is um, implementing surgery. When we do surgery, we call the weight comes out because of the surgery we did. When we say non-surgical weight loss are those um, patients that they are going under a diet or nutritional plan plus exercising combination of both might be the best results, but it's still if we compare one versus the other, surgical weight loss is still more successful in the long run. Okay. How do you as the surgeon uh, determine if a patient is motivated and will do well with surgery? That's a great question. Uh, and those, um, in the initial visit, we are very thorough in terms of assessing that motivation. But at the same time, as a bariatric program, uh, we must send these patients to have a psychological evaluation. Uh, what implies um, is the assessment of mental stability, if they are willing to take that big change in their lifestyle forever. So between our first assessment and that psychological evaluation, we'll have the final clearance for these patients from um the psychological standpoint. Well, I'd imagine a patient would do some soul searching on their own before even arriving at the idea that maybe surgery is the answer. But um, who is eligible in terms of age um, or uh, overweightness? You have to be a certain... Right. So we have very specific criteria that they are based on NIH criteria from the late 90s. Um, We still use them and they are valid. So whoever has a BMI, that is body mass index, that is the tool that we use to qualify obesity these days, a body mass index of 40 or and above, those patients are candidate for bariatric surgery based on numbers. If we're a little below of a BMI of 40, uh, we can talk about candidacy for surgery when we start at 35 of a BMI. But these patients, they have to have some other medical problems that most of the time are related to the fact that they have obesity, such as hypertension, diabetes, for example. And so those are candidates also for bariatric surgery. Are there any health conditions that would disqualify someone from having surgery? That's a great question. So active cancers, um, active uh, or unstable psychological problems, um, intestinal, active intestinal problems with multiple resections, previous history of peritonitis, just to mention a few. Those would be patients that uh, they might not 
fair candidate for this surgery. Okay. Now, if I understand correctly, there are different ways to accomplish this surgery. So can you talk about what's offered and, and compare the options for yes. us? Yes. So we, um, in our practice at App State, um, our base is at Community Hospital. We offer um, laparoscopic, all this procedure is done laparoscopically, by the way, sleeve gastrectomies, laparoscopic Ruangwai gastric bypasses, or we call them gastric bypasses as well. And now recently we added uh, duodenal switches. Um, my partner, um, Jesse Gutnick, is the one that is um, started performing uh, the duodenal switches. So when you say laparoscopically, that means um, it's not really an incision, but a, a small... A small incision. So uh, the old way of doing this procedure, and this is the way bariatric surgery started, was with big incisions from, you know, almost starting the chest all the way down to almost the pelvis. Nowadays, we do a small little incisions. We put cannulas inside this, uh, the abdominal wall. Through the abdominal wall, we insufflate with air, CO2. And then we create that space, um, and we are able to see with cameras, and that way we can perform the surgeries. So we call it minimal invasive approach or laparoscopic surgery. Advantages from doing this versus the open approach, the recovery is much faster. Some patients, they can go home within 24 hours. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let me ask you more about gastric bypass. So yeah. what are you doing? Uh, you're bypassing the stomach? Or? The biggest, so we are able to create a small pouch from the stomach, and the bigger part of the stomach, though, is left as bypassed. The food won't go through that route. And we also bypass the first portion intestine that is called duodenum. And so that's the reason also creates some malabsorption. Uh, so a small little pouch, and then we reroute the intestine. So that's the big difference versus the sleep gastrectomy, that in the sleep gastrectomy, we only remove three-quarter plus of the stomach. And we create like a... Um, a, like a long sleeve, that's the reason of the name, without touching the intestines. So you're in both procedures, the patient is left with a smaller stomach. Correct. Than they, um, so does that mean they can't eat as much? So we call it the, in any case, we are creating some restrictions. That is not the reason why ultimately this, uh, this procedures work. It's one of the reasons why of there's no questions that portions, they have to be smaller because they have less room and satiety and less hunger, they come to play. And those two, the last two are more related to the metabolic changes that we create, just rerouting or just uh, resecting stomach or rerouting intestine. Okay. Now, how does a patient or how does the surgeon pick which patient gets which procedure? That's a great question. So there's multiple steps in order to decide uh, what surgery would be best for those patients. We make them come first as the first step towards um, introduction of uh, the practice. They come to a seminar where it's very informative and we deliver all the information uh, that we have in terms of what are the difference between all the procedures. So we want them to have you know, um, at least an idea of what will be best for them when they come in. The other big, um, an important um, 
item that we have to consider is multiple uh, the, the medical problems they have. So that might define also what surgery might be best. For instance, if they have diabetes, we might consider gastric bypass. If they have reflux and obesity, gastric bypass might be best too. But um, some other um, medical conditions might make us think also uh, based on medication that they're taking, that the sleeve gastrectomy might be a better option. So those are discussions one-to-one -one with the patients based on their ideas, because in the end, they're going to be the one that they're going to have the surgery. I like to hear what their, uh, their idea about what they want, but also our uh, responsibilities to come with the medical input in terms of what medical problems they have and what would be our best recommendation. So very individualized Correct. We try to customize based on, on the patient's uh, needs in any case, yeah. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Flavia Soto. She's the Division Chief of Bariatric Surgery at Upstate. Now, you mentioned um, the information session uh, that often is the starting point for people, but what is the process after that? How soon would they meet you or another surgeon, and, and how soon would they potentially have surgery? So the how they access also, I will add something, how they access to the seminars through our uh, website. They can... Um, um, we'll put a link to that on the healthlinkonair.org website as well. Wonderful. But you go on and you can sign up for an yeah, information session. they can sign okay. up through our website actually um, uh, to the seminar. And after they come to the seminar... Uh, we can, uh, there's some paperwork that has to be uh, filled in, and then after that, they are going to be able to um, schedule for the first appointment or initial visit with uh, the surgeons. Okay. So um, once you've identified that this particular patient um, is a good candidate for surgery and you have a surgical date on the calendar, what can the patient do ahead of time to optimize their results? Is there anything they can do? Absolutely. So their commitment is imperative for this kind of procedure. So the procedures actually is the last thing we do. And given a surgical day might take a, a time. And the reason why there are certain conditions by, driven by insurances these days, these patients in mind need to be with us for a few months uh, during a process that we call a medical supervised weight loss. So mm -hmm. what implies is they come monthly Average in the state of New York, six months, but we have some insurance that they are requesting only three months. Uh, it this varies based on insurance requirements and, and again. Um, and so during those months, they will come in. They will see uh, the provider, um, most of the time the surgeon, um, or our meat levels at, in the practice, and they will see our dietitian. That's the way we're going to coach them and introduce them to the changes that they need to start working on prior to go to surgery. That is for me, and based on all these uh, years that I've been doing this, is prime time for them to implement all these lifestyle changes, especially in the nutrition. Um, if they are able to lose some weight, actually some, sometimes there's some correlation with uh, success after surgery. Again, this is a tool that will help them to or assist them in the process of losing weight, but the lifestyle change is up to them. So surgery will work. No, there's no questions, but the lifestyle change has to be implemented as well to make them successful for the rest of their lives. How much of a success rate is there for the weight loss surgeries? Do Are most people able to lose and keep off the mm -hmm. weight? So... 
The evidence uh, shows that um, there's more success, right? Can reach up to almost 70% in the long run in terms of success, right? And maintaining the weight down uh, if we compare bariatric surgery versus non-surgical weight loss, meaning just the diet and exercise um, programs. So that said, the non-surgical weight loss is the literature also says that is between 5 and 10% success in the long run, which is a big difference. Achieving a goal of 70% of long, uh, long-term success is a big number for medicine. So um, as you see, it's more successful. There's no questions versus non-surgical illness. There might be some you know, specific papers or under specific programs they are able to achieve maybe higher weight loss with non-surgical weight loss, but it's still the number that we can reach with surgery is by far uh, higher. Well, and it, it sounds like surgery isn't just the quick fix either. It sounds like there's a lot of work on the patient's part to maintain really a new lifestyle afterward, right? Absolutely. Um, and you just um, uh, touched a very important um, topic because, um, you know, there's no questions that coaching from the nutritionists and dietitians, registered dietitians uh, uh, that we have in our program, plus the behavioral component assessment prior to go to surgery are key components of what we do and, and will determine also a good outcome. There's no questions that if we set up these patients um, for best outcome, those two uh, important items that have to be assessed prior to surgery. Now let's talk real real briefly about what recovery is like. Mm-hmm. Um, is this an overnight stay in the hospital or so th- th- it's an admission. Uh, we do the surgery one day and uh, in my experience, uh, more than sixty percent um, almost seventy percent of the cases they go home twenty four hours after. So that means that we see them in the morning, we make sure everything is fine. Uh, that we can advance their diet from clear liquid diet to some thicker type of diet, and then they can go home by the end of the day. Um, reasons why patients might stay longer, most of the time is some nausea or pain-related, um, but average is between one two days in the hospital. Okay, well, good to know. So let me ask you why you chose to go into and become a bariatric surgeon. By the time I was finishing my um, surgical training in Argentina, uh, bariatric surgery actually was blooming, and minimal invasive procedures were just starting, and so it was very attractive to me. I, I was always very interested in the foregut, meaning the beginning of the the gastrointestinal tract that will include esophagus, the stomach, and first portion of the intestine. So bariatric surgery would be the right fit for that. Uh, so that triggered actually for me to come and do some research in Cleveland Clinic in Florida, and then I pursued um, further training here in the U.S., and here we are. So this is what I love. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in and uh, telling us about this option for people. My guest has been the Division Chief of Bariatric Surgery at Upstate, Dr. Flavia Soto. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.